to the ladies, to the gentlemen, to the fellas, to the fellas, the fellas, the NFL playoffs are here. And what we're doing on this channel and this podcast right now is we're going to be breaking down today. Today is going to be the Saturday slate tomorrow. And when I say today, depending on you're watching this Wednesday, tomorrow, Thursday will be the Sunday slate. So when people are like, what about this six game slate? Well, there you go. You got all six games to break down. I personally, I probably won't play the six game slate, to be honest with you. There's two perfectly well main slate, three game slates. So I'll be playing those, but you'll have all the information you need on these videos and you'll have even more advanced information and the real information to take it to the next level through Patreon, through the projections, rankings, ownership, all of that stuff for the super wild card weekend, which is going to be fantastic, right? We normally don't get this many games. We normally have these four game slates. Now we're going to get the six game and then a four game slate next week. So it's fantastic to deal with this. It is a beautiful thing that we continue to have more football and even next year maybe an extra week of football so if you somehow just find me which makes sense because you know kind of the, the season dies down the last month of the year when people are eliminated from the fantasy football championships and DraftKings and all these dfs sites really ramp up the advertising and people are like hey i could still play fantasy football and then they'd sign up and they're like hey how do i play this dfs stuff how do i not just throw my money away well you found the right place because you're not going to be throwing your money away or at least the percentage chance that you throw your money away you, you still there's still a good chance mostly you will because you know come on 20 percent of people win any single gpp contest right the percentage chances of you actually throwing that money away go down and the percentage chances then inversely of you winning are going to be going up so welcome here to the channel sal vetri and i break down dfs daily fantasy sports sports betting we have a video out for this weekend's games and what we do on this channel right now is we go through each and every position quarterback running back wide receiver tight end i do my own player projections i do ownership projections rankings all that stuff that i'll be referencing you can follow along down below on patreon patreon.com backslash sal underscore vetri underscore so we'll go through all of that right now we'll talk about some advanced stats some breakdowns we will be having game by game notes later in the week over on patreon and then on saturday morning we will be live for this slate at 10 a.m east coast time sunday morning we'll be live for the sunday slate 10 a.m east coast time so there's a lot to get done for the nfl this week i'm very excited for it so why don't we just break down into it before we do like button big old subscribe button pops up i appreciate that maybe 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 before the super bowl it's gonna be a big push but maybe we can push closer to 40,000 subscribers on the youtube channel the podcast how those ears doing i appreciate all of you over there as well the video is going to be brought to you today by the beautiful people over at Superdraft. Superdraft is a multiplier format for example josh allen today or for this slate has a 1.05x multiplier that means that you multiply whatever points he scores if he scores 20 multiply it by 1.05x basically he gets an extra five percent points but but, but, but but and this is a big old booty you have somebody like alex smith with a 1.6x multiplier so if alex smith was to score 20 points somehow right match josh allen this week which would be a big upset if he was to do that and score that he would get 60 percent more points he would actually be scoring 30 plus points on the week so that's the power of the multiplier a lot of times some of these guys that don't look great but have high multipliers will actually be some of the best options on the slate not only in NFL, but also if you play NBA, you're going to be very much so keen and aware of that. Now, a lot of people are winning over on Superdraft. Lots of money. Lots of money because the competition is not as stiff there. Sometimes the contests don't fill it, so you're playing for the exact same prize pool, but less people are playing for it. So in theory, you're getting a discount on your entry fee. And that's not even in theory, I should say. That's legitimately happening. So be sure to check it out. If you use my name, Sal, S-A-L, they will give you a free money bonus in a slow drip format up to $1,000 Ruskies. Appreciate you all in advance. And I appreciate Superdraft as well. So let's get into it, starting with the quarterback position. This is a very interesting slate for quarterbacks. It really is because there's a lot of top tier defenses on the slate. And then there's some injured quarterbacks. And the injured quarterback would be Jared Goff this week. But the early reports from Ian Rappaport are that, hey, if he even plays in this game, if he even plays in this game, he's going to push to, he's not going to be 100% healthy. I mean, his grip strength after having this injury is not going to be great for him. And he has one of the better, if not the best matchup, I would say, on the slate, which is concerning for us. But the team total is not great, just 19.5, the second lowest on the slate. 
late. So it's not something that I'm really diving too deep into. I'll have to see how that progresses over the week. But right now, based on the Vegas team total, not really something I want to be getting to. So we can quickly clear him out of the way, in my opinion. And then I can also clear Alex Smith out of the way. Now, Alex Smith is cheap enough. So these are going to be my two no's right now. And then we can get into the guys that I really like. This isn't just a small slate. We might as well cover everybody on the quarterback position. But Alex Smith is somebody that I wanted to like, right? He's the cheapest quarterback on the slate. What happens if Alex Smith goes out there and actually is able to score 20 points for you against this Tampa Bay Bucks team that has been struggling in their pressure and their secondary over the past month, month and a half? Not the same team they were the first half of the season. But my concern is that Alex Smith, who I do expect to start in this game after throwing 32 times against Philadelphia, is just not a good quarterback. I don't think he can score 20 points, especially in this matchup that I still think is not by any means a terrible Tampa Bay defense. The complete opposite of that in many regards. The best performances you've gotten out of Alex Smith this year was he scored 19 points, but that was against a Detroit defense where he threw 55 times. The complete opposite is what they're going to be trying to do in this game. That was back in week 10. He throws 55 times, has 390 yards, doesn't find the end zone at all, but actually played pretty well. 7.1 yards per attempt. Again, that's the complete opposite of what's going to happen in this game. They're going to try and keep it on the ground. They're going to really hope not to have Alex Smith throw 55 times unless they're down by 20 for most of the game. So I'm not going to bank on that happening. Outside of that, his best performance was 15.8 points against Pittsburgh, where he threw 46 times. That was that weird Tuesday or Wednesday night game, and they ended up upsetting Pittsburgh and coming back. Again, a decent game, but 16 points is not going to win you a GPP, even at his cheap price point. So this is not the type of guy that I'm going to be going after, and it's also just not a good quarterback in general, right? You can go down to his yards per attempt so far this season at 6.3, number 30 out of any quarterback in the NFL so far this season. You get no rushing upside out of Alex Smith right now. The passing yards per game is nothing fantastic either. You're looking at 198, by far the fewest on the slate. A 3.7% interception rate is the highest in the slate. It's obvious, right? I don't want to be playing Alex Smith this week, even if he starts to grade out in some of your projections, mine maybe a little bit, but your projection systems as looking like a decent value, it's mainly because of the price point. So now let's get into the yeses. And the yeses are going to be starting off with a guy who's basically scored 19 or more DraftKings points and really like 23 or more DraftKings points in like six out of his last eight games to this point, dating back to, I believe, week seven. He's been fantastic, Josh Allen. He definitely deserves to be up there in the category. I mean, it's it's Aaron Rodgers with that pass rating, the second highest of all time behind himself. Aaron Rodgers is the clear-cut MVP, but you have guys like Patrick Mahomes, you have guys like Deshaun Watson who led the league in yards per attempt and passing yards, who was fantastic in so many different completion percentage metrics, never will be talked about though because of how bad his team was. And you have Josh Allen, these guys, these quarterbacks that were really up there in terms of what they did this season, MVP type potentially. You have Josh Allen finishing fifth in passing yards overall, fifth in passing touchdowns, sixth in yards per attempt. And the nice thing about Josh Allen was just how quietly the advanced rushing really, really, really started to pick up for Mr. Josh Allen. He finished third in rushing touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns, right? So his total touchdowns this year, he ended up finishing fifth overall, but 45 total touchdowns because of that rushing upside from him. He ended up finishing third in total QBR in a very nice 26 rushing yards per game, but getting all those goals line and red zone carries on the ground 1.6 red zone carries per game it's just a ton of upside for a guy normally when you're that big and you're running it from like the five yard line that's going to convert to those eight touchdowns he leads the slate in fantasy points per attempt at 0. 0.708 a lot of that's going to have to do with rushing upside as well. Josh Allen is clearly in play. It just comes down to on a slate where all the tight ends are basically dirt cheap. The running backs are not that expensive. There are expensive wide receivers, and I do want to play them. But on a slate at $7,500, where he has the highest team total on the slate at 29, that is going to be the highest team total on the slate by about two and a half over Tampa Bay. And then after that, it's six over Seattle. So this is very appealing to play Josh Allen. He's the obvious quarterback this week. The fact that there's six quarterbacks on the slate, we just have to see how high this ownership actually gets to. And you can check out the ownership projections that will be on Patreon, link down below later this week. Because if Josh Allen comes comes in at he's not going to be 50 percent on this big of a slate quote unquote big of three game slate but if he comes out in at just like 28 percent on that's pretty damn good for this type of size of a slate unless somebody is just wildly under owned so josh allen is a yes for me i currently on patreon as you could follow along down below have josh allen projected out as the highest projected quarterback makes sense his price point being 600 more expensive than anybody else is going to kind of put that in play i haven't projected for two more points than the next closest player and the next closest player is actually not tom brady it's going to be my next interest and that is going to be russell wilson russell wilson deserves to be this cheap right and i'm 
when I say deserves to be this cheap, he's been in the 8K range at times this year. He's been in the 7K range at times this year. He's just not been playing as good of football. And a lot of it has to just purely do with volume, right? Dating back to week 11, he throws 28 times. Then he throws 31 times. Okay, that's nice. Then he throws 43 times against the Giants when they're playing from behind. So he has to, he's forced to, right? But then this is what his volume goes to. 27 attempts, 27 attempts, 32 attempts. And then he has 36 attempts this past week, again, playing from behind. So if, if he's not going to be throwing the ball, it's going to be tough for him to get there. But he is a consistent player. And it's really the price point at this point. The fact that his price point is not $7,200 anymore, $7,500. The weeks where he goes out there and scores 18 points or 19 points like the past couple of weeks when he's right around 19 points per game these last two weeks, it's not going to bury you at $6,600. The only way that that buries you is if Josh Allen goes out there and scores 34, 35 points. And we should also keep in mind that for Josh Allen, this is going to be a negative pass blocking advantage against the Indianapolis Colts defensive line. This Indianapolis Colts defensive line has actually been very quietly underrated. Their secondary is top 12 in the NFL right now. So that's still a difficult matchup. The matchup for Russell Wilson is not going to be great in terms of offensive versus defensive line matchup. The worst on the weekend at a minus 51% pass blocking advantage for Seattle. That's not great, right? The team total right now is the third highest on the slate, but it's just the price point at this point. He's second in fantasy points per attempt at 0.668, only behind Josh Allen in Mr. Russell Wilson. He is facing a top five pass rush. He is facing a borderline top five secondary. This is a very difficult matchup that he's had because of division rivals that he's had two times so far this year. The first time it was pitiful. 12 fantasy points, has 248 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions, has a fumble in that game. And then in week 16, the game that they ended up winning because, you know, Jared Goff gets turned the third quarter, but not playing well anyways. He ended up getting 225 yards out of Russ, 32 attempts, gets a touchdown, gets a rushing touchdown as well, and gets you to 20 fantasy points because of that rushing touchdown. So a yes on Russell Wilson might actually seem extreme, but it's just because there's a lack of quarterback options on the slate. Ideally, right now, I would put Josh Allen as the only yes on the slate, but I'm trying to give you some other options. And I'm trying to give myself some other options as well. As of right now, if I had to just play one quarterback, it's going to probably be Josh Allen unless something changes or the ownership is very drastic. But me putting this yes on Russell Wilson is just trying to show you that I like him a little bit more than Tom Brady. That does not mean that I love Russell Wilson just a little bit more than Tom Brady because this Rams defense is very scary and barring a rushing touchdown that Russell Wilson got in week 16 against the Rams he would be having a 10 point performance and basically like a 12 to 14 point performance against the Rams so far this season that's not great next up if you are looking for value and somebody that I do think can keep this game a shootout and really another reason to like Josh Allen is what's on the opposite side of this game well the reason to like Josh Allen is because Philip Rivers is there and although he hasn't been elite this year Philip Rivers is still averaging currently the 10th most passing yards in the NFL he finished with 261 per game he's right now top 10 in overall yards per attempt with 7.7 yards per attempt. His true completion percentage has actually been num very good, number two in the NFL. So look, right now, honestly, like this would be what I would do, right? So instead of putting Josh Allen as a, or Russell Wilson as a yes, I'm trying to do this. Yes does not mean I like him more than, let's just say Josh Allen, right? It just means that in that price range. So Josh Allen's like my overall yes. In the price range of the six carries between Goff, between Russell Wilson, between Brady, the yes there would be Russell Wilson. So really, if you're just looking at this as my overall interest in guys that I get, expect to get a lot of, that's probably how it's going to be shaping up. But just trying to separate guys in the price ranges. We'll leave Russell Wilson as a yes, basically over Tom Brady and Goff. And then out of the lower range guys between Rivers, and, and you could also put Goff in that category as well, and Alex Smith, I would be choosing in that range, Philip Rivers. Now, Philip Rivers, I don't have projected for more than Tom Brady, but value-wise, he's my number one value play in the slate. And I still plan to stack up some games. And if you're going to be stacking up some games, well, you kind of need the other side to really be able to hold it together. So if you want to stack up Russell Wilson, he can get you there on the ground, so it's not as important. But can Jared Goff keep this game going, especially if it's John Wolford by any chances? I really don't, I don't doubt that, but it's really difficult to see that. Tom Brady, the reason why I don't have as much interest in him, uh, a lot of reasons why one, the pressure is going to be something that I think really does get to him. That's why I like Washington plus eight and a half. And I actually put a bet on the Washington money line at plus 350 uh, implied odds of 25% chance to win. But as eight and a half point favorites against the number two secondary in the NFL against a top five pass rush, I do worry for Tom Brady to really get you to some of those peak performances of like 20 plus points, especially at this price point. The value is not there. I actually have Russell Wilson again in that range as a better value play. And I also question the upside if Tom Brady, let's just say he does get going early on of them just handing it off to Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette at the second half of that game more so than they would. And Tom Brady only throwing 
28 or 30 times because of this pass rush, because of how good the secondary is. And I really don't trust Alex Smith to keep the game close enough to force Tom Brady to throw. The one game this week where I think that both quarterbacks can keep the game close enough for the other team to have to continue to throw is Buffalo and Indy. And that's why I like my two favorite quarterback plays in the slate. Factoring in the price point of the situation are Josh Allen, who we talked about, and Mr. Philip Rivers, who again has quietly been very good this year. And then if you look at just what Indy is doing, Indy has a great offensive line. A positive 12% pass blocking advantage is going to be good. When we get to the running backs, the highest, one of the highest I've seen all season long, a positive 94% run blocking advantage, but it's going to be a good spot for Philip Rivers. Maybe even Tredavious White misses again. I'm not sure if they were just resting him last week. He's been dealing with ailments and missing games all season long, really, for the second half of the year. If he misses again, even better. But guys like T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman as your third option now in the passing game as Zach Pascal continues to emerge out of the slot. The matchup for Zach Pascal out of the slot against Teron Johnson is something that I do like. Michael Pittman has the size advantage on the outside against probably a Levi Wallace. So all these spots look pretty good for Philip Rivers. You'll have his two to three tight ends, a 22 and a half overall team total, but a six and a half point underdog. It's enough for him to have to continue to throw in this game. Philip Rivers this season averaged the top 10 attempts basically because he just stayed healthy with 34 attempts per game. I think you're going to see over that right now. He closed out the season with 28, 28, 35, and 27 attempts. You want to know why? Because Jonathan Taylor was absolutely fucking eating on the ground. So you didn't have to have as many attempts out of Philip Rivers. If this game, indeed, if they get behind to Josh Allen, you're going to see, I think Jonathan Taylor still see maybe his 15, 16 carries, but it makes him a little bit more sketchy. And I think you start seeing Philip Rivers do what he had to do in the middle of the season. His 43, 39, 36, 42 attempts, right? You get 40 attempts out of Philip Rivers here. He can really pay off this $5,400 price tag in a major way. So that's where I'm at right now with the quarterback position. We can now move over to the running back position. Quarterback position. It is an interesting one in this sleep. The quarterbacks in that Buffalo in any game, because I think both sides can keep the game going on the air is where I want to go to. Seattle ideally would just be able to run the ball. The Rams ideally, especially if it's an injured Jared Goff, which it seems like, or John Walford, both of those do not sound great. Ideally want to run the ball. Washington ideally wants to be able to run the ball, right? Tampa Bay would like to throw the ball, but the matchup with that pass and secondary is just going to say, you know what? We can throw the ball a little bit, but ideally we want to also run the ball as eight and a half point favorites. Buffalo and India is a spot where I think both teams can say, let's just throw this motherfucking ball 45 times a piece. We could really see a game pop off when we're trying to find a stack to like this week. So now we move over to my running back interest and it's going to be an interesting slate right now. So these interests are really going to be stemming from right now, my projections, value, things like that, that I find. Obviously the interest that we have in quarterbacks, which is either a cheap Philip Rivers, a mid-range Russell Wilson, an expensive right now, Mr. Josh Allen. So that stuff's going to be factored in as well, but also projections, right? Ownership will start to get factored in later in the week. It's something that we can touch on a lot more in the live stream once ownership projections, as I record this on a Wednesday, are kind of firm and we get a little bit more news in terms of right sentiment coming in from the industry, a little bit more data feeding into that for us. So we can start it up up top of Mr. Chris Carson, who has continued to be pretty efficient this season. And now Chris Carson is going to find himself in a pretty difficult matchup, but he continues to get the volume, right? Whether it's Carlos Hyde being out and Rashad Petty coming back. And even then, Chris Carson's still handling the bulk of the touches. Now, if you're going to be looking at what he did in week 17, you're not going to get a full, pretty full picture because for the most part, they were down by two scores for the far majority of that game. He only saw 13 touches in the game, but it's not like any other running backs are seeing any touches. In week 16, the last time that he faced this LA team, had a decent game, right? 19 total touches. He ended up seeing three receptions, 11 fantasy points. And then the previous time that Seattle played the Rams, he did not play. He was out injured that week. You're getting a lot of volume out of Mr. Chris Carson so far this season. If we just go over to what he's basically been doing on the year, Chris Carson is seeing about 16 opportunities per game, and he's seeing about 3.8 opportunities per game right now. And the nice thing to see is that you're getting a ton of red zone opportunities. 2.1 red zone opportunities on the ground for Chris Carson this season, and he's seen five goal line carries, including obviously a lot of the injuries that you're getting. He's number 10 in true yards per carry right now at 4.7, and he's number 17 in yards per touch at 5.4. Those are very nice efficiency metrics for running back. He's seeing a pretty strong and sturdy for a guy who's not known as the best pass catching running back, 11.5% target share. And when you want to look at just what he's getting right now on the ground this week, he's actually going to have, it's going to be the better spot for offensive versus defensive line. Again, we mentioned the negative 51% pass blocking advantage for Russell Wilson, a positive 18% run blocking advantage this week for Mr. Chris Carson. And that's coming against the Rams run defense that, I mean, saying it's not as good as the coverage because that's graded number one in the regular season from PFF. 
saying it's not as good as the pass rush because that's rated number three, it's still a top five run defense. So a definitely a difficult spot for Chris Carson here. But we're trying to leverage a little bit of not getting as much Russell Wilson, right? We're also just trying to leverage what we're getting at as a price point value. I currently have Chris Carson, if I'm looking at my values, as my number three overall value play this week for 15.1 fantasy points. So that value is getting him up there. And I assume, I assume that he's going to be a little bit low owned. Him being a favorite with a decent team total this week also helps out. Now, having Ronald Jones as a yes here is going to be maybe a little bit bullish on it. But again, if we're not going to be expecting to get too much of Tom Brady, if we expect him to run the ball a little bit more as the biggest favorites on the slate as a over a touchdown, eight and a half point favorite with a 26.75 team implied total, the second highest in the slate, Ronald Jones actually grades out as my number one value play this week at the running back position fantasy points per dollar i have him for as of right now 14.6 fantasy points he grades out as a 2.65 value looks decent on super draft not my favorite player over there but he is grading out as a very strong play and he's going to have a positive 27 percent run blocking advantage this week so it's actually going to be very similar to seattle the better matchup for this tampa bay team in terms of offensive versus defensive line is actually relying on the running game which is something that i think they're probably going to try and establish to get play action passing to get some of that pressure off of chase young all these guys off of tom brady because that pressure is definitely going to be getting there now when he actually sees the ball and he's actually healthy Ron Jones is getting like 17 opportunities per game. He's been good. This past week against Atlanta, he only ended up seeing 12 opportunities, but he took those 12 opportunities for 78 yards and a touchdown. He's been highly efficient. He missed a couple weeks before that, but then he ended up seeing 20 opportunities, right? In that game against Minnesota, 15.4 fantasy points. He's had basically 15 or more fantasy points in four out of the last five games. He's been very good this season. Now in the passing game, terrible. And that's the one concern with putting him as a yes, but the price point at $5,500 is cheap enough. I thought he was going to come in at like 62, $6,300. Seeing him as one of the cheaper running back options and really all these running backs outside of Mr. JT Jonathan Taylor are cheap this week. You're not going to get the usage in the passing game. That's not going to be something that gets you there, right? 5.2 yards per touch is fine. He's top 10 in two yards per carry with 4.7 right now. And he's been very good overall in evaded tackles. 3.2 evaded tackles per touch is top 15 in the NFL. If you're looking at yards created per touch, Ronald Jones has been great. Number eight in yards created per touch. So everything on the ground, I trust this guy to actually get going, right? 12 routes run per game. The problem is that he has not been good in the passing game. An 8% target share ranks 31st overall. He's 32nd out of every single running back in yards per reception. He's 28th in yards per route run. His catch rate is 32nd, which is awful because he has six drops fourth most. So you know that already, right? You probably know that Ronald Jones isn't getting you there through his passing game usage. So that's the one concern and caveat with if he's just getting plowed by this Washington defensive line, that's fantastic against pressure, not as good against the run. But if he's just getting stonewalled and his 15 carries are going for like 45 yards, you have to bank on touchdowns. So that's the one risk there. If Ronald Jones is appropriately owned, he's still going to remain a yes. Game Akers is going to be a yes because he's just way too damn cheap, right? I'm not expecting as of right now, uh, Henderson to be playing this week. I don't really think that they're going to be giving Malcolm Brown all the many touches. I know that this is a rookie in a playoff game, but everything is just shaping up for a very nice spot volume wise for Mr. Cam Akers this week. He's much healthier. He's going to have either John Wolford back there or an injured Jared Goff. He's going to have a very difficult, he'll have the worst run blocking advantage in terms of he's facing a very stout run defense. The Seattle run defense so far this season ranks number one in tackling and they rank number one in run defense. His defensive line will have a minus 40% run blocking advantage, right? But that's just one piece of the pie. All that is factored into my projection that still makes it my number two overall running back play factoring the price point and all that. And really this is just factoring the price point for the most part because he only has a 19 and a half implied team. He comes in as a three and a half point underdog, but we're banking on the volume here in a major way. His team already runs the seventh most times per game, and that's with, for the far majority of the season, a healthy quarterback out there. You're coming off of a week 17 game again with John Wolford, so the game script was probably not to have Wolford involved. 25 opportunities and 25 touches for Mr. Cam Akers. 21 on the ground where he saw five red zone touches. Now in Cam Akers' last four healthy games, you were getting out of him. 22 red zone touches on the ground. You factor in the one target in the red zone, 23. In his last four healthy games, 22 red zone carries, nine, five, three, and five. 
That's absolutely insane. He is the red zone back. I'm not worried about Malcolm Brown. I don't think Errol Henderson plays, and even if he does, I'm not worried about that. Yes, this is a, I would say, difficult matchup for Mr. Cam Akers this week. There's no doubt about that against the Seattle team. But if there's somebody who's going to be getting fed 20-plus touches on this week, outside of probably Jonathan Taylor and a good game script if he gets there, I think it's going to be Cam Akers. And his price point is just way, way, way too cheap. You're getting Cam Akers this week as one of the cheaper. He's priced next to J.D. McKissick, right? Cam Akers is a workhorse running back priced next to backup pass-catching running backs in J.D. McKissick and Naeem Himes and guys that are in 50-50 splits that might get you six or seven touches like Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. Makes absolutely no sense to me. Cam Akers might be my favorite overall play at the running back position this week when you factor in everything in the workload at $5,100. Now you might be saying, Sal, how is Jonathan Taylor not a yes? It really just comes down to the price point. He grades out as still my highest projected play, right? So when we're factoring in the price point, he's going to grade out as my number, I think like five overall running back. But when you factor in the projections, I have Jonathan Taylor projected for two point more points than anybody else. He's my number one super draft play because somehow he's not a 1x multiplier, but he's a 1.25x multiplier. So you get 25% more points. Again, check it out. My name's Sal. Get you a free money bonus up to $1,000 rookies. Jonathan Taylor would be my number one running back play at 21.5 super draft points. He's a B for me in cash and a B in GPPs. So I could basically put Jonathan Taylor as a yes, because the way that I'm ranking him in cash and GPPs is the same as these top three guys above him. But so we, we can move him to a yes right now. But the reason why I don't have him as an overwhelming yes is because of his price point, right? Playing Josh Allen and then Jonathan Taylor, if this is the lineup that you're starting to play. And then when we get to wide receiver, you get Steph Diggs, right? Now you're really constricting what you can do. I would rather pair up Steph Diggs with Josh Allen than play Jonathan Taylor in my lineup, because I think there's a lot of better alternatives that are cheaper that aren't going to come in as touchdown underdogs in this game. But it is really hard to ignore what Jonathan Taylor has been doing over the last, what, five to six weeks of the season to this point. Like, let's just look how Jonathan Taylor closes out the season. Six straight weeks of a top 15 running back, three of which of those he was a top five overall running back. And nothing more fitting, if not poetic, than seeing him cap off the year as the number one running back in week 17, right? With 30 overall carries. First time that he's done that. He ended up seeing a reception, 254 total yards, right? Smashing his previous rookie record of 165 this year, two tutties, 41.4 DraftKings points. And again, that number one finish. He capped off the week again, six straight weeks as a top 15 back. So none of this has to do with Jonathan Taylor's overall ability to smash and hit a ceiling, right? It depends on what you want to do. Give me Josh Allen plus Diggs over Josh Allen plus a Jonathan Taylor. Now, if you wanted to go Jonathan Taylor and Diggs and get a different quarterback in there, like a Phillip Rivers and that's your run back, something like that. Yeah, that seems pretty appealing. I'm not going to be against stacking up with your quarterback with your running back on a three-game slate on a main big slate. I think that the correlation is not as much there and you're lacking and the opportunity cost of not going with a wide receiver and a quarterback from another team is bigger and greater. But on this slate, yeah, there's not that much opportunity cost when you have Alex Smith in the slate and potentially John Wolford and Tom Brady, who's going to have Chase Young on his back for probably half the game. Outside of that, at the running back position, I do prefer Antonio Gibson to any of these backups. His backup, J.D. McKissick, Naeem Himes, Antonio Gibson, explosibility. It's just overall upside, his dominance in both also seeing him as a route runner, improving there and getting more routes run each and every week so far. The team total is not great. Them being eight and a half point underdogs, I'm not going to lie to you and say that that looks great, but I would prefer Gibson to a JD McKissick. The red zone role is actually going to be better for you. I would prefer Gibson to just a home run hitting ability compared to McKissick and Naeem Himes. I do prefer McKissick to Naeem Himes as well, but that's pretty close. So that's where I'm at with running backs right now. Carson Jones, Akers, and Taylor. Uh, Akers is going to be maybe my favorite overall play right now. Taylor, if you're just looking for points upside, and then out of all these maybes, Gibson over Hines and McKissick for me. Gibson has just been so damn good. A 5.3% touchdown rate. He's been mad efficient. A 0.81 fantasy points per touch right now is only behind Naeem Himes, who basically is getting there because of receptions and Chris Carson who's getting there because of very efficient touchdown rate as well at 5.1%. Everything looks good for Gibson in terms of how efficient he's been this season. The problem is that you're probably going to be playing from behind this one, but the volume that he's getting, right? The volume you got this past week, 20 opportunities the week before that against Carolina, 14 opportunities the week before that, when he was actually healthy in week 12 against Dallas, right? On Thanksgiving, we saw him go off for that 36.6 fantasy points, 39, almost 40. If you're talking about DraftKings, number two running back that week, ended up seeing 27 opportunities and 25 touches in this type of a game script. You could probably project Gibson for somewhere around 
15 to 16 opportunities. So again, I prefer him with that touchdown upside to McKissick and Hines. Let's now get into the wide receiver position where a lot of this is still going to be stacking, but we can identify some of the value as well. So Stefan Diggs is going to be a clear cut. Yes, Stefan Diggs is by far my highest projected wide receiver of the week. It's pretty hard to get away from that. Stefan Diggs is just somebody that you really, really, really are probably going to be wanting to play this week. He is my number two value play. At $7,700, he is just dirt cheap. Last week when he was $8,100, I said he was dirt cheap. The man that basically ended the season in, in total yardage, in total receptions, in total targets from this team. He's probably going to be a top three wide receiver off the board next year with Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams in drafts, unless something changes this offseason. And now he has a fine matchup. I'm not scared about Xavier Rhodes for Stefan Diggs. I'm not scared about whatever zone defense, if they want to do that instead against Stefan Diggs. He beats all those things. He wins one on one like Devontae Adams because of his route running ability in all parts of the field. He wins against zone defenses because he's a veteran that knows and his route running helps there, but he knows where to find the spots in the zone. At $7,700, he's still going to see the volume. Third on this slate, an air yard market share of targets for his team. He right now has a 76.5% catch rate on over 10 targets per game. That is great to see. I've met 21.6 DraftKings points by far, five points more than anybody else on the slate at the wide receiver position. And I currently have him as my number two overall value. That's pretty damn hard to do when you're that expensive. That's how good he looks this week. After that, you get Terry McLaurin, who is going to be coming into a matchup that is going to be tough. But again, this is not the same first half of the season secondary in Tampa Bay. It's not the same lockdown, not the same defense that when Devontae Adams came back for his first game was held to six catches for 60 yards by far. Devontae Adams' worst performance of the season. He'll see some Jamal Dean this week, probably for Mr. Terry McLaurin. He'll also see parts of Carlton Davis if he's going to be out there and healthy, but Jamal Dean for most of this game. But these last couple of weeks are why Terry McLaurin has just been great, right? He went through that rough start where he was just terrible. He had a nice game on Dallas on Thanksgiving, a couple catches. He got there on volume, but then he was just back-to-back -back starts of being terrible. And a lot of that had to do with Dwayne Haskins. One had to do with the week 13 matchup against Pittsburgh. Then week 14, San Fran against Jason Verrett. You have some Dwayne Haskins in that game. It's not looking too good either. And in two weeks, he only ended up scoring 7.8 points in two weeks combined. But then the volume came back in week 15 against Seattle. Nice matchup. Plays 100% of the snaps. Sees 12 overall targets. This is with Mr. Dwayne Haskins out there. Scores 14.7 fantasy points. And then last week, he gets his man, his man, quote unquote, Alex Smith back. Three quarterbacks he's used this year so far. 33 routes run. He catches seven of eight targets, has a touchdown as well, and puts up 17 fantasy points. The volume for Terry McLaurin is too good to ignore at this point. The volume for Terry McLaurin, I will say it, is too good yet again to ignore at this point. Second on the slate in targets at 8.9. Terry McLaurin is a very strong option for you at 6,300. I prefer Terry McLaurin to some of the guys that are more expensive than him, right? I prefer him uh, definitely to Tyler Lockett. I prefer him to both of the wide receivers right now out of the Rams. So I do think both are still in play, but prefer him in that price range to both of them. I actually prefer him to DK Metcalf if you're talking about value. And honestly, I have them basically both projected for about the same amount of points in that upper 16 fantasy point range. But you have a $400 discount on Mr. Terry McLaurin. So that's where I'll be going. Terry McLaurin, I do like a lot. Terry McLaurin and Stefan Diggs, if you're looking for guys, let's just say that are in that 6K range or above as of right now, early in the week without really factoring in too much ownership with trying to think about my stacks and one-offs. Those are the guys that I like getting to, especially their ceilings a lot. Now, next up is going to be as of right now on Wednesday morning, my number one value play on the Wednesday slate at the wide receiver position. And that's going to be Mr. Cole Beasley, assuming he is back and ready to play, right? Two weeks ago, he got hurt. They said he was week to week. Let's just assume that he's back this week. If he's not, well, then things obviously change. You get Gabriel Davis starting to look more appealing. Isaiah McKenzie, who scores three touchdowns, one being a special team touchdown last week, starts to become a little bit more appealing, right? Obviously, you got John Brown becoming appealing. But assuming that Cole Beasley is going to be in there and playing, he's going to be somebody that I really do like. And it's really hard not to like Cole Beasley, just the volume that you were getting out of him. If we take out the game where he gets hurt against New England, where he probably was still going to see 10 opportunities and 10 targets in that game because he had five at like halftime, playing just 48% of the snaps. Well, before that, he ended up seeing 10 targets, 10 targets, 11 targets, four targets, and 13 targets. This man is just absolutely dominating. Uh, ended up breaking the record for touchdowns by a slot receiver this year. He's ran the fifth most slot snaps, and that's at, even after missing a couple of weeks so far this season. What you're getting out of Cole Beasley right now is a number seven overall catch rate. You're getting a ton of usage out of him. Just the yardage is pretty outstanding for a slot receiver, right? 65 yards per game out of Cole Beasley this year is fantastic to see. You're getting a lot of downfield usage, and you're just getting a lot of volume, and you're getting a cheap price point. And you could put it into 
these stacks. If you wanted a full-on game stack, Steph Diggs, who, in my opinion, is cheap, with a Cole Beasley, who is dirt cheap at 5,300. This is a $6,000 wide receiver with the highest total on the slate right now, a 76.6% catch rate. Again, that is number two on the slate right now, only two Chris Godwin. I love it a lot. I think Cole Beasley is a strong value for you. I think the run-back options are pretty nice. You can see some yeses here. Look, again, it's the Buffalo and Indy game. Here's some run-back options for you. T.Y. Hilton, I don't love this year. T.Y. Hilton, after he had two good weeks in a row, I still said that this guy's pretty fluky because he's not getting separation. And he basically just had a two-game stretch where he caught a deep touchdown and that ended up working out for him, right? It was that two-game stretch in week 13 when he scored 25 points against Houston and Vernon Hargraves, arguably the worst cornerback in the NFL. He put up uh, 110 yards in a tutty. And then against Las Vegas, which is arguably the worst secondary in the NFL against Lawson for most of that game, he ends up putting up two touchdowns, 25.6 fantasy points. And then I came out and I basically said on the Osmo show that following Tuesday, I'm not falling for this. He's not getting any separation. He's played two of the worst secondaries and two of the worst cornerbacks, really Vernon Hargraves. Uh, I won't give Lawson that bad of a designation, but two very easy matchups in which he just ended up finding the end zone, right? Touchdown regression, if you will, came his way. Well, what does he do after that? He puts up a decent performance, four catches, 71 yards, 11 fantasy points, not bad, but he's still seeing the volume, right? These last basically five weeks, 11, seven, six, seven, seven targets. Now with the last couple of weeks, he's basically scoring nine to 10 fantasy points a game. Look, I don't want just nine or 10 fantasy points in this game, but his price points 5k flat. If he's a runback option and he gets you five catches for 75 yards, those 12 and a half fantasy points, I can take them. And then this matchup against Buffalo, where you might have a banged up or maybe even out Tredavious White, I'm okay to get to T.Y. Hilton. I expect him to face Tredavious White, but I also expect him to move around the field. He sees 14% of his snaps out of the slot. I don't think this will be a shadow matchup. And even if it is, I'm not too devastated about getting a guy against Tredavious White, who's $5,000. If this was a $7,500 player against Tredavious White, and I thought Tredavious White was definitely going to shadow him and lock him down, it's another thing. But T.Y. Hilton, if he's going to see seven or eight targets and three of them are defended by Tredavious White and he catches one of those, I'm still fine with him on the rest of his targets. And we're really banking on yet again, Philip Rivers throwing for those 40 plus times in this game. Them to maybe establish a run a little bit, but have to play from behind and just get into a little bit of a shootout. So T.Y. Hilton's in play. Even Pascal's in play, Zach Pascal, but I have Michael Pittman as a better value than Zach Pascal, likely because he's just a little bit cheaper, $200 cheaper. All these guys are in play though. He'll probably have a matchup against Levi Wallace, which is fine. Mr. Michael Pittman's running about 25 to 30 routes per game right now. He hasn't been popping off in any regards, but he's basically seeing like four targets a week the last couple of weeks, catching a couple of passes a week. His size advantage will be pretty nice against Levi Wallace, and he's just a punt option for you, right? He's a punt option that you can put it into a stack if you wanted to as a run back, and I think he's a pretty good punt option at that. One of the highest speed scores out of the draft, the second round pick for the Indianapolis Colts this year. Again, his massive size advantage is pretty nice. 6'4", 223 pounds against any of the cornerbacks he'll be facing against Buffalo this week. So when I put a guy like Michael Pittman, I say, yes, this does not mean, oh, Michael Pittman's projected for more points than Chris Goblin and all these other guys. You'd rather play Michael Pittman than them. It's factoring in the price point, right? It's factoring the other guys that I'd like to play up top around the Chris uh, Goblin price range, like a McLaurin or like a Steph Diggs. Factoring in all the value, Michael Pittman right now for me at his price point is my number five overall point per dollar value at 8.8 projected fantasy points. Now, after that, there's a lot of guys I like. I do like DK Metcalf. His matchup against Ramsey is going to be one that looks pretty appealing to watch. And if it keeps his ownership like he is every single week in the single digits, especially, I doubt it on a three game slate, but especially on a three game slate, yeah, DK Metcalf would probably be out of all my maybes, the guy that I like the most who has the most massive upside, the guy who downfield will be looking good yards per reception wise, efficiency metric wise, DK Metcalf this season, seeing 38.3% of his team's overall air yard market share of targets that right now ranks number one on this slate by a pretty wide margin over Terry McLaurin and Steph Diggs. He's averaging 81 yards per game, which is second only to Stefan Diggs. And you're getting 16 red zone targets, which is basically number two on this slate, only behind Mike Evans, who is one of the leaders in the NFL, Mike Evans himself. Chris Godwin remains in play because that volume of like seven or eight targets per game that you're getting out of him, seven to be exact on the year so far, leaving some games early. It's really closer to eight, but the, the catch rate, the highest catch rate on the slate at 77.4%. It just gives him a nice safe floor. Now the $7,000 price range. Yeah, it is definitely a little bit high, but I'm still okay getting there. I'm still okay getting to both Rams wide receivers, assuming that Cup is back and healthy. I would prefer to get to Robert Woods, in my opinion. I'll take the $200 price savings if Cup is back and healthy and just go to Cooper Cup here in that spot. You're going to get a little bit more underneath work, middle of the field work for Cooper Cup. The snap count might not be as high. Robert Woods will probably be on the field a lot more. Josh Reynolds in two wide receiver sets. They're going to a lot more this season in two tight end sets, 
I should say as well. But Cooper Cup at $6,000, I'll prefer to Robert Woods at this point. And then John Brown's value, Cam Sims, Zach Pascal, they're all value. I prefer Michael Pittman to them if you're just going to punt all the way down. Zach Pascal, though, is completely fine if you wanted to get him at 3700 Looks pretty close to Michael Pittman at this point for me, but that's where I'm at right now. I'm not really going to have too much interest in these other Tampa Bay receivers. In Antonio Brown and Mike Evans and Gabriel Davis really isn't in play for me unless you get news that Cole Beasley and or John Brown are out. John Brown, another sneaky option at $4,700, but when you're going to have Cole Beasley at 5300 only $600 more, I'll go there in those types of stacks. But if John Brown's ownership is just, say, like 5 or 6%, yeah, I do think that he's going to see if he's now fully healthy. Six, seven targets in this game. A lot of upside for a 100-plus yard game is definitely in the range of outcomes for John Brown. So that's where I'm at the wide receiver position. Again, Diggs, Cole Beasley. Terry McLaurin, these guys look very strong. And then T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman, they look great as values. They're my top five for wide receiver values, but they look even better because of how much we like that game, or at least I've been kind of stating how much I like that game so far. Let's move over to the tight end position, which is just kind of gross. Honestly, this tight end position sucks on this slate. I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat it. Logan Thomas is a yes, but this doesn't mean, oh, Sal, he's the only yes on the Saturday slate playing 100% Logan Thomas. No, he just said he's my top value at the tight end position. He's going to see by far the most consistency and the most volume on this slate right now. I have Logan Thomas for right now about four more fantasy points than any other tight end on the slate. He's by far my top value. He's my number one super draft play because you get 30% bonus points on Logan Thomas. You're just getting the volume, right? He's averaging about seven targets per game. That's more than two more than anybody else on this slate. You're seeing the downfield air yard market share of targets, which is by far the highest in the slate right now. Logan Thomas right here is that my mouse goes over it. If you're watching on the video, 22.5% of his team's air yard market share of targets. Next closest is Gronk at 15.8%. 670 total yards on the season so far this year. You're getting a lot of volume and you're getting a lot of volume lately out of him, whether it is Dwayne Haskins or whether it is Alex Smith targeting Logan Thomas. It's basically the number one middle of the field receiver uh, at Terry McLaurin, mainly on the outside for a lot of the game. So Logan Thomas, yeah, looks great. He's probably going to pick up a lot of ownership. He's the most expensive by over $1,000, $1,000 more than anybody else on the slate right now. Gronkowski at $3,900 is in play. But honestly, if you're not going to go to Logan Thomas, I do think that Gronk is definitely in play, especially in a playoff game around the red zone. Brady's going to be going where he feels comfortable. And this is probably the best matchup on the slate uh, for a tight end against Washington, in my opinion. So Gronk would be where I would go if you're not going to go to Logan Thomas. Gronk would be right now, basically my second highest projected tight end. Nothing crazy. He's in the sevens for fantasy points. But after that, instead of going to like a Tyler Higby at 3,400, instead of going to a Dawson Knox, unless you're going to stack it up at 3,200 and you just want to get him into your stacks, I would just punt all the way down. I'd punt all the way down to a Trey Burton or a Jack Doyle from the indie game, assuming that they're going to have to be passing from behind. That's a nice way to get back on your opposite side of your stack. Let's say you stack up Josh Allen with Steph Diggs and Nicole Beasley, and you want to run back the opposite side of that game, and you just want to punt it, right? Because you want to pay up for Terry McLaurin and these other receivers, maybe even a DK Metcalf. You just want to punt it with a Trey Burton on the opposite side. Hope that Burton finds his way into the end zone, gets yourself like 10, 12 fantasy points at the tight end position, which is definitely in his range of outcomes. We've seen it multiple times this year. He's gotten into the end zone a lot this year relative to his opportunity and touch count. So that's probably where I would go. If you're not going to pay up for Logan Thomas, which he's cheap enough to just get to, if you're not going to pay up for Logan Thomas. I would then kind of do a coin flip between just punting the position completely, especially if you're going to be playing the Buffalo game and the indie game, because you can get a stack with Jack Doyle. And I would prefer Trey Burton to Jack Doyle there. Just a little bit more usage. And honestly, I think a better tight end. And then the flip side of that would be to get to Rob Gronkowski. If you just have enough money to get there, he'll project out a little bit better than those guys. That's where we're at right now in the three game Saturday slate tomorrow, Thursday, and it might already be out depending if you're watching this on Friday or Saturday or Thursday in the afternoon, right? Uh, this tomorrow, Thursday, the Sunday slate breakdown will be out. Millie Makers for each of them. Appreciate you tuning in. Be sure to support and sponsor the show, Superdraft, down below. I don't know what you're waiting for if you're not already. Right now, my top tight end play over on Superdraft, like I said, is uh, by far Logan Thomas. 14.9 points is four more fantasy points, over four more fantasy points on Superdraft, Superdraft points than any other tight end on the slate. Check out Patreon down below for the full projections, rankings, ownership, Superdraft stuff. Ownership will be out later in the week, probably by the time that you're viewing this. You can check that all out down below. NBA projections are going out. Golf projections and ownership are going out. 
all that down below like and subscribe before you go appreciate you all a ton and have a great 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 rest of your day we'll be live for this saturday slate on saturday at 10 a.m east coast time so hit that notification bell along with the like and subscribe all those things if you're not already what are you doing hit the like and subscribe whether you're on your laptop your phone your tv take two seconds of your time greatly appreciate that and then join us live on saturday at 10 a.m east coast time sunday at 10 a.m east coast time for that three game slate and i'll answer any of the questions that you might have for me appreciate it fellas and enjoy the rest of your day